Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And this time around, once again, we're going to just play kind of fast and loose with our regular format. And we're going to do something completely different that we've never done on this show before. We're not necessarily going to talk about funny books this time. Instead, what we're going to talk about is our top five favorite uh, how would we say this is like uh, movie themes based on comic yeah, book li- live action comic yeah. book movie scores. There you go. So, yeah, that's what we're going to run with this time. And we're just going to kind of back and forth from from number five to number one. Well, and that actually, uh, you said you had something that you wanted to talk about music it, related. Yeah, it, it, I, I did. I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the fact that. Uh, and now we actually have a date that it's going to be Christmas time, 2012, when we get the next Superman film. And you and I have kind of discussed either on Tales or here, kind of our nervousness over the fact that it is Christopher Nolan, and how my main nervousness was the music, because as much as I like James Newton Howard and as much as I like Hans Zimmer, uh, together they did not exactly thrill me with the Batman themes. No, but my wife and I went to the movies couple weeks ago or a week ago i forget whatever (laughs) it was a long time ago it's been a long week and we went to see how to train your dragon and it was a great movie by the way completely recommended really heartwarming i even got choked up at the end you know but i'm a sucker for those types of things and but it was more the word i was thinking but no go ahead uh uh-huh yeah do you want me to call you out right now (laughs) sir (laughs) no don't do that Anyways, uh, but one of the things about the movie that I that I liked so much that I don't think I would have noticed as much before becoming friends with, with you was the score. The score was epic. And I watched, I looked at the credits to see who did the music. I completely did not recognize him. But when I was looking at like the, the full music part where they like show who was the conductor and everything, I recognized the name Gavin Greenaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he composed a piece of music that uh, that you sent me recently that was from the Disney Millennium Celebration uh, 10 years ago called Reflections of Earth. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening to this piece like just about every day. Like on my way to work or on my way to back. I just I just, just love it. It's epic. It is. It has this really boom, 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 boom kind of start to it. And it's real, it really kind of epic there. And then it's it's like 16 pieces of music in one. But the thing that, that's been getting to me about this music is I keep thinking, God, you know, this, this almost sounds like a Superman theme. So I was sitting, in, sitting there driving to work today, and I, 
kind of made up in my head how I would put that piece of music into a Superman film. Because <laughs> I figure that if if you were going to do it, that he finds out his origins in the first film, that you could have that first part be where he somehow, maybe like from the Superman animated series when he touched that box and he was suddenly at on Krypton. Right. Where he's like watching the destruction of Krypton happen and watching Jor-El racing back to the uh, to his his lab and like dodging dodging earthquakes and buildings collapsing and all this kind of stuff and it's really overwhelming to young Clark Kent to the point where he just kind of runs away and realizing that he's gone really really far away because he doesn't quite know his own power set yet and realizes he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere I don't know if he's on a mountaintop or something but that's that kind of peaceful serene part of it where he's just kind of watching the world around him like almost for the first time. But I figured that whole middle part would be him discovering he could fly. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, doing different flying shots, maybe flying with birds if you want to go for that hokey, you know, type of thing. Oh, no, I don't think that's hokey at all. I, I've always wished that they would do more stuff like but, that in one of the, the movies or the animated features or something. But, you know, just, just at first being really bad at it, but then kind of getting his groove and figuring out how, how to maneuver in the air. But it, it all leads to that one, like, epic bit at the very end. And I was like, well, what do you do there? Well, that's the part where at some point during the whole learning about his origin sequence, you know, his father tells him, Even I was even thinking that it could happen during, like, the peaceful part where he's suddenly hearing what his father is telling him about himself and he's and he's you know he's told him he's invulnerable and he's just discovered he can fly so he looks up and just as that final crescendo is happening he rockets into the sky and flies right into space just I like to see it. if he could do it I like it and then right when it gets into that last part of it, he drops back down and is just flying around because he's just really, really excited. Because I think one of the things that the, only the Superman animated series has really gotten is Clark discovering he can fly for the first time and it being exciting. Right. Superman Returns completely missed the boat on that. And But the animated series, you know, when he's running and then he does that big jump and then he finally flies... It's just, like, really exciting. And that's what I want out of a Superman film. I want it to be fun. Now you I mean, are you talking the part in Superman Returns when he was a, a little kid and he was yeah. doing, like, the big... Oh, I thought that was one of the most exciting parts of the entire movie, my say. You didn't like the music in that part? Oh, I love the music in that. It's just, I, I don't... You know, when he finally figures out that he can float, basically, mm -hmm. I didn't really get the majesty of that moment. It seemed kind of... I don't know. Well, I think that uh, that what's his name singer. I think he was actually, believe it or not, I really do believe he was trying to work within the framework of what had already been established in the other two movies to a certain degree. And so, like you, I, I would have loved to have seen young Clark, you know, suddenly go from just levitating in the barn to like fully like streaking into the sky and whipping all over the place. But you know, we. It was it was already enough of a stretch that 
he was doing that when Superman the movie really showed him fly for the first time in the in fortress. The, so yeah, you're absolutely right. So I, I think that he was trying to not play too fast and loose. But yeah, I, I see what you're going for. I would have liked that actually that to see him. I, I would have liked to have seen more scenes like the old uh, Kurt Swan you know, origin of Superman yeah. where he jumped over the house and, you know, when he hit the ground buried up to his knees and stuff like that, <laughs> you know, in, in singers movie. I, I think that that, you know, he could have injected more of that stuff in there, honestly. But all of that is for me to say that I think that since Gavin Greenaway has conducted for both James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer, and he kind of has a Zimmer. There are certain points in reflections of earth where I'm hearing like, almost the Pirates of the Caribbean score Mm -hmm. echoes. So I really think they should just give the score to Gavin Greenaway to do it. Because I think he has a sense of majesty and grandeur that Superman needs. I would love that. That was my basic point. That's the the theme of this thesis. I'd I'd be all over that. I really would. And, uh, you know, of course, during this whole sequence, I'll I'll have portions of that playing as well. But also... uh, I would encourage people to seek that out and give it a listen because I think that there's a tendency for people to, you know, when they hear the word Disney associated with music, especially with something at a Disney park, if they've never been or if they haven't been in a long time, I think that there'd probably be a tendency to think that, you know, you're going to get something that sounds like a Mickey Mouse cartoon or you're going to get something that sounds like, you know, it's a small world after all. And that's, this music couldn't be further from that. It no. really is big and majestic and very much like a motion picture score. And I don't think a lot of people are aware that a lot of the music that you hear at Disney is done by the top guys in movie scoring these days. You know, Bruce Broughton has done a ton of stuff for yeah. Disney. Yeah, so, you've mentioned that on Two True Freaks a bunch of times. Yeah. So... Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, I think that would be an excellent choice. I, I really hope that they go for the majestic because I'm uh, not sure exactly what they were going for with Batman Begins and Dark Knight, but it really did not work on an epic scale. I think, but that's yeah. that's just my that's well, just you, my you, two cents. You can do kind of a muted score with Batman especially with the Batman they were doing, but you can't do that with Superman. I think if you if you try to mute Superman, you're kind of taking away from what makes the character great. It's it's why when certain writers want to deal with Superman, but they don't want to deal with with Superman, they want to kind of maybe do their version of the character where it really misses the mark. Right. And one of the things about Superman is that he flies. And that is what I think, if, if they're going to be successful with this film, in my opinion, they have to nail down how exciting it is to be Superman. Yes. Don't do any of this, I'm a loner, I am, you know, I feel separate from humanity, you know, I'm a stranger in a strange land. No, he, he's accepted who he is. That's what makes him Superman. Right. And... The music has to match that. You know, I don't think anyone is ever going to outdo Williams, in my opinion. I, I, I think you would have to try really freaking... I mean, if they do, I'll be amazed, and I'll be the first one to admit it. But, you know, the Williams theme kind of set a standard for not only Superman, but other superhero themes as well. So, yeah, I'm kind of 
tentative. I'm, I'm not going to be negative about the film, even after the trailers. I'm not going to have a firm opinion about this film until, and I, th- I think this is one you and I should see together, personally, um, until our asses are in that movie theater. And then I'll bring, like, the little digital recorder and we can, <laughs> we can sit there and bitch or glow. Or <laughs> I think a, there's a lot of money to be made, potentially, uh, betting on which of us ends up having to talk the other one off the ledge. I, I think that... <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't think I've quite come to grips with with the whole thing yeah it, it's one of those things i'm just it's a wait and see mentality for me because yeah. there have been so many superman movie rumors bandied about you know ever since superman 4 that in a lot of ways i'm still surprised that superman returns ever really did come out you know flaws aside it was just a miracle the movie ever came out at all because i mean look at some of the crazy stuff that was tossed around for a while there with Kevin Smith and Nicolas Cage and all that weird, crazy stuff. So, you know, I'll, I'm going to just adopt a wait and see attitude. So, but I'll be curious. But I'll be most curious about the score because I, I part of me really wants there to be a new Superman score with new themes in the whole nine yards, just out of pure curiosity. But the other half of me thinks that wow, that's an incredibly just risky and possibly a, a fatally stupid flaw to to even think about going with something other than the Williams theme well, but Shirley Walker is a close second for me oh yeah yeah uh, I think she she really got a sense of of, of, of the character and, and I think any good Superman theme makes you feel like you're flying mm-hmm. uh, it's why to a certain extent the Superman Batman public enemies theme oh yeah has a has a sense of grandeur to it. Grandeur that Superman Doomsday just didn't have. No. We'll get into that when we do our animated themes. <laughs> yeah, we should we should throw that out there that we're gonna do this. Basically we're doing this show in three stages. We're gonna do this one that's gonna cover the, the live action features, basically. And then we're gonna do another one that's purely animation that'll be, you know, it'll be features, it'll be Saturday morning stuff, whatever. As long as it was animated or partially animated, you know, that'll be covered in that. And then we'll do another one that will be uh, TV stuff. You know, anything from, say, you know, The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves right to, uh, you know, whatever the latest and great, you know, Smallville or whatever. So, yeah. I think I think the that'll be a lot of fun. I'm I'm itching to get to this. I'm I'm excited Which about actually this. Actually, has a lot of good score music into it, even if the theme sucks. See, so. I haven't really paid much attention to uh, to who's scoring that. Or I, I'd be curious to to take a look at that sometime, just to know who's working on that. You know, with the with the regular episodes scoring it. But yeah, I don't think much of the so-called theme myself. I, I think it has kind of an enterprise thing working for it in that regard. But. <laughs> Well, um, we're we're doing our top five, but there is a caveat to that that we both agreed on. Uh-huh. To, uh huh. To that that there's one that we're just going to talk about, and then get to the others because it's both of our favorites, if that's how you say that. And uh, we would have both chosen it as number one, given our druthers. So it's just based on also, and I'll get I'll get back into this a little bit more later in the episode, but. Uh, Earlier today, 
I threw out something on Facebook on both my own account and then on the uh, Two True Freaks account, just letting our listeners know that we were going to be doing this episode tonight. And I tossed it out to them, you know, let us know what are your favorites. And I didn't do any sort of tally or anything, but it looks like it's pretty overwhelming that our number one is most everybody's <laughs> number one. So, yeah, I think we're very uh, justified in, in this segment in just coming coming right out and saying, well, you know, uh, it's it's almost obvious that Superman the movie is going to be the big one for most everybody. And it's definitely our big one between, you know, you and I. So, yeah, Superman the movie, I mean... It's my favorite movie to begin with, you know, just flat out my favorite movie, not not necessarily even just superheroes, just flat out my favorite movie, but it's also my favorite film score, let alone favorite superhero score. So, yeah, love, love John Williams' yeah. uh, Superman the Movie theme. I love the Superman the Movie soundtrack, and I enjoy the theme in all of its you know, incarnations in all of the movies because each one has a slightly different reworking, a slightly different yes. take on it, and I like that. They may be very subtle, but each of them does have a, a, a unique identity because I think there's certain elements of, of Superman 2's usage of the theme that at times sounds a little bit faster, a little bit tinnier, but then right toward the end, it's if you're watching the movie, it's at the part where they're they're recapping the first movie. And when the atomic bomb goes off, it just has a way that it kicks in that I really like in that instance. Um, Superman 3 doesn't play the theme at all in the beginning of the movie. We don't get nope. the theme until almost Though, the end of the movie. <laughs> Though... There on the TV version, yes, mm -hmm. there is a opening sequence with the main theme, mm -hmm. which surprised the hell out of me. I was watching it one day, and it was like suddenly I was in an alternate universe <laughs> yeah. where, the, where Superman three had a, had a traditional Superman opening. You're right. You're right. <laughs> and then Superman four, I really like how Alexander Courage worked it in that one. I, I love that. And I like that you've used that one. Uh, you, you use that one at the closer yes. of uh, From Crisis, Crisis to Crisis. I really like that. And then, of course, Superman Returns. I, I think Ottman did a, a fantastic job with that whole score because I think he did a very nice balancing act between using a lot of Williams but then incorporating a lot of his own stuff, which could have been disastrous, but I think he, I think he pulled it off very well. I think that's honestly, I think that's his very best score. And he's had some really good stuff, so. Well, you know, Superman the movie is just filled with so many memorable musical cues. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, beyond the main theme, which just gets you right in the mood, the Krypton theme, the theme of the Starcraft going to Earth, mm -hmm. um, the the whole sequence of Jonathan Kent dying and the and the and the uh, funeral the fortress of solitude uh, the you know the march of the villains as it's called my favorite of the film flat out the helicopter sequence mainly because like the scene itself it builds on itself mm -hmm. it's it's not just you know you know you have that whole da -da -da right there to kind of get you you know very 70s Right, you know, with the with the whole disaster film aspect to it, but then it gets really quiet, 
and then he comes in and he's walking down the street he runs across the street opens that shirt the pimp stops him he flies up catches her but then goes right back to that disaster type music and just the reason why i love that scene so much is that they could have just stopped at him catching lois lane and we would have been like yay right because but no they dropped the helicopter right and he catches it one-handed and the music just comes up and that's when you realize that the main superman march has like four different aspects to it all playing at once right superman 2 of my of, of john williams not doing the music my favorite iteration of the main theme flat out it never ends that thing just keeps going you listen to that thing by itself and you're just like clocking time, but <laughs> Superman 2 also has two of my favorite musical cues from the entire film series. The him changing into Superman at the beginning. Yes. Uh, and him returning to Metropolis and coming in and swooping in. And probably one of the best cues from the entire film is when he crushes Zod's hand. Mm-hmm. And, and it was quiet and the theme just comes in. Yep. And just dun 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 us. Yes. Three? Three does. Three copies two a lot. Uh, I have to say, Ken Thorne gets a lot of crap, but as far as three is concerned, you can listen to two and you can listen to three, and you're kind of listening to the same thing. But three will forever have my adoration for the piece of music that happens right after the Clark Kent versus Superman fight. When he yep. opens the shirt up and starts flying, it's just. That's pretty damn epic. Uh, but like you, four after after Film Score Monthly released that box set, you realized how great the score to four is. Oh, I always thought it was, and that's why it aggravated me so much that I couldn't find it because that was one of that was one of my top three Holy Grail soundtracks that I hunted for years because. There was a great debate amongst the people that I knew who were fellow film score collectors about whether it really existed or not, because about half of them would say, yes, it absolutely does, and the other half would say, no, it absolutely does not. So nobody seemed to really know for sure if the damn thing even existed, and I sure could never seem to find it. And uh, and then, you know, Film Score Monthly puts that box set out. I was thrilled because... I, I, ha- I always had a feeling I would really, really enjoy I think that's one of the things that kept me coming back to that movie, re-watching it over and over again, was because the, the score didn't exist. But I loved the music, and I, I just like to watch it because I love the, uh, you know, there's the scene where, where Luther puts out the sonic call and draws Superman yeah. to, the, to the building that he's in. You know, he says, you know, he's going to blow the top stories off the building or whatever. So Superman comes over there and they have a chat that's very reminiscent of the little chat that they have talking about the San Andreas Fault in the first movie. And then Nuclear Man comes on the scene and there's a little more chat. And then finally Luther's just like, destroy Superman and the fight starts. All of that music in that that's underlying both their little talk right up until the fight starts and then of course the fight itself is fantastic because it's a nice blending of both Superman themes and and music and then the awesome awesome Nuclear Man theme I love his theme I think it's great it's one of the best villain themes I think that there is 
for superhero movies. Isn't it rumored that Williams did that? Because I've read that. Yeah, he. Oh, he did, did do that. Okay. He composed new themes. That's uh, yeah. A lot of people don't realize that is that he actually composed new themes for Superman Four. He did. The Nuclear Man, he did um, Lacey's theme for Lacey Warfield, and w- one or two others, I think. Uh, he may have the done Jeremy. Jeremy he may have done Jeremy's theme, I'm not sure. It kind of sounds like Williams to me, but I'm, I couldn't swear to it. Oh, and that, possibly that United, one other uh, moment in there as well. That United Nations sequence. Yes, yeah. Holy crap, I'll just pop that in, but... You know, I used to not like the the version of the of the main theme in that film, but the more I listen to it, especially now on the box set where it's in how it was originally supposed to be in there, where it was supposed to be him saving the shuttle first and then the main theme kicks in. Right. Kind of flows a little better. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, but Superman Returns. The only thing I can say, and it's not even negative, but the only, like, quibble I had with it is that, you know, he did a very utilitarian version of the Williams Main March and theme in the beginning. Because he cuts off the second, the repeat of the main theme that every other film did. Right. And, you know, it's just like, he, it's like, I did it, I'm get, I get in, get out, get on with the film. Right. Uh, but the choral Planet Krypton music at the beginning was absolutely awesome the only thing that that really bothered me though was he would do the dun 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 and but he would never do the main part of the theme again throughout the entire film it would always just be that driving dun 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 but having said that the theme he came up with the new theme he came up with superman for when he was flying into space and when he was recharging himself, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the theme he wanted to do, but Brian Singer wanted him to do the Williams stuff too. See, I never ever thought that anybody would be able to, to, to top the helicopter catch sequence for me. Because that was, seeing that as a kid, you know that was what hooked me on Superman. That's what made me a Superman fan. Was was looking. I, I know I've told this story before, but you know I, I actually got a tour of the projectionist booth when we went to see Superman the movie. And I remember looking through the little window where the movie actually gets projected out and seeing Superman catch the the helicopter right at that part. And it just you know it just captivated my child mind. So it takes a lot to trump that sequence in my mind. But I think the sequence where Superman, you know, really struggles and finally does catch and stop the airplane in that movie, both the the cinematography and the score, I think it does trump that moment for me. It it, it one-upped the helicopter catch. And it's I just think it's fantastic. I love the music through that whole sequence. And uh, I also I really like, you know, because there's uh, there's parallels in the in the movies so much between Superman Returns and Superman the movie. And uh, one of the moments that I really like in Superman the movie, musical wise, is when he pushes the giant rock off the cliff to start the avalanche that would dam up the the broken dam, you know, the broken you know the water from the broken dam. 
it's it's really just kind of subtle, but I, I love the the music in that part. Or there's a part similar to that. It's not quite so subtle, but it reminds me of the that sort of sequence in Superman Returns, which is where you know the the Lois and her boyfriend and son are trapped in the ship and they sink, and it kind of looks like that's it for them. And then yeah. all of a sudden, the the boat starts to rise back up out of the water, and here's Superman pulling, you know, this ocean liner out of the water, and the music in that again, mm-hmm. it's all Williams, but it's beautifully done. I really like that scene. Oh, the so. the whole scene of him changing to go out to rescue her. Yeah, and you know him going through the the Daily Planet, and then like sitting against the wall with his fingers on his glasses, and then. S- doing the shirt rip inside the elevator taken off across the water and then realizing he has to go back yeah uh just oh man it's, it's you know superman returns is a lot like the ang lee hulk film when superman was on the screen i was pretty much on board with the film mm-hmm. anytime we kind of got away from him doing what superman should be doing eh, not so much exactly so yeah. The, the only quibble I've got with uh, with Ottman's Superman Returns score is uh, I really like the love sequences of the movie, you know, the moments between Superman and Lois Lane. Yet he did something funky with the the love theme, you know, mm-hmm. Williams's love theme. I can't quite I can't describe it because I'm not versed on you know technical music speak. Yeah, I have the so, same problem. So I don't know how to describe exactly what he did, but he changed something up in it, and it doesn't flow the same way, and it bugs me every time I listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> but still, I, I do think it was a it was a really fantastic the, one. The, the real soundtrack, not that <laughs> botched yeah. hatchet job they released legitimately. <laughs> I don't mean to be so pissy, but I was rather disappointed when I bought it and it didn't have the full score. <laughs> oh, you mean the uh, the, the original release yeah. for? Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty sad. It, it, it's kind of like when I was fourteen and finally I, I, I had been mowing lawns and I was about to go on vacation with my grandparents and I'm like, I'm finally gonna buy the Superman soundtrack and I go and I go to their music store and I buy the tape. Uh, and I get it home, and it doesn't have the helicopter sequence on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? I had to wait eight years until Varese Saraband released oh, that. Oh, wah, wah, wah. Try having waited since 1978. <laughs> <laughs> True. When Varese Saraband released that Royal Scottish Orchestra re-recording. Yes, by John Debney. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. That was... That was like the placeholder until they finally re-released the full score. No, in like 2000, they released uh, Rhino Records released it yeah. with a bunch of extras and a booklet. So. Beautiful. Yeah, I have that one in my collection. That's why, uh, speaking of movie music, you know, I, I have to admit, I haven't been all that excited really about Iron Man 2. I mean, I'll, I'll go see it. And it's not like I'm like down on it or anything. I just wasn't all worked up like most everybody else seems to be. But I saw a movie poster for it the other day and was looking over the credits and everything. And uh, I guess I had just assumed that the same guy was going to be scoring that one. And it's not. It's John Debney. And that's why I got so excited. Now I'm really <laughs> I'm really jazzed now because I like me some John Debney. He's a very, very good composer. So I'm excited now. 
he did that Scottish one that you're talking about, that that reworking that came out just before the Rhino release of Superman came out. What do you think, man? You want to take a little break and then we'll come back into this? Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Dr. Scott Gardner, podcaster par excellence, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength that all nerds have. Then, an accidental overdose of common sense alters his body chemistry. And now, when Scott Gardner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Fuck! $3.99! Can you fucking believe $3.99 for this shit? For Christ's sakes, I can remember when these friggin' things were 15 The creature cents. is driven by rage and egged on by an instigative co-host. He's got a fat head! You shouldn't like him with a fat head! creature is wanted for curse words he did not omit. Scott Gardner is believed to be a freak, and he must let the world think that he is a freak, until he can find a way to control the raging fanboy that dwells within him. You ready to get back into this? Yeah, we need to if we're going to get through uh, through both shows tonight. tonight. Yeah, exactly. All right. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. You want me to go first? All right. Age before beauty. 
Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, what happens when I have both, though? You do. <laughs> dick. There you go. Yeah, I'm a dick. <laughs> All right, so getting back into this. All right, so I guess we're just going to go ahead and start with our number fives. And wow, I, this was a very hard list for me to, to comprise. But me too. <laughs> here, here's what I came up with. For my number five, I think I'm going to actually stick with uh, with John Ottman for this one. I'm going to go with X2, X-Men United. You know, the opening theme, or at least the theme that leads off the, the movie and leads off the, uh, the soundtrack album, is kind of a stunted version of the main theme. But if you listen to, like, uh, off the soundtrack, if you listen, listen to the, the suite... Or like the closing to the film, something like that. That's where you really get the full-blown theme. And I think it's awesome. I think it's, uh, you know, the the best compliment I can pay it is I think it's Superman-esque. And see, Superman is going to be what, you know, it always has been what I what I weigh every other superhero film project against. You know, I, I, the, the movie itself, I look at it and see, you know, is it structured like Superman the movie? But also, of course, the soundtrack. And I mean, not every one of them has to be some big, huge, sweeping, epic thing, but it has to get to the core of the character or, or bring a certain majesty. You know, if they're a majestic character or set of characters, then it has to bring that majesty. You know, if they're they're dark and brooding characters, then it has to capture that dark and brooding, you know, whatever the, the essence of the character is. I think that the, the X2 soundtrack... You know, granted, I'm not the biggest X-Men fan or, or, you know, super intimately familiar with the X-Men, but, you know, of the different X-Men themes that I've heard over the years, you know, whether it was an animated uh, thing or any of the three film soundtracks or four, if you include Wolverine, I think X2 was really the one I liked the best. I, I think it captured how I think their theme should sound you know the first one was good michael came and did the first film mm-hmm. and but you're right it's like for some reason the second one stays in my head longer right than the first one mainly because it's it's really driving and it's got that you know the opening <clears throat> the opening credits are kind of neat too as you're kind of swirling within a dna helix almost yeah. so uh no I'll, I'll go with that i i, I enjoy the hell out of that that uh, that's actually my favorite x film Oh yeah, me too. I mean, that mansion scene could have been about 50 minutes longer, uh, in my opinion, but I could have just watched Wolverine killing people all fucking day. I remember (laughs) my friend Ryan and I went to see that together, and uh, Ryan hated the first X-Men film, because he was a big X-Fan in his day, and he thought they just pussified Wolverine beyond all recognition. And he gets to that scene where the you know the the troops are invading the mansion, and he's fighting that dude in the kitchen, and he pops his claws in his chest. And next mayor hear this, oh! <laughs> and he just starts It's, it's funny because I hear that same criticism from a lot of people regarding the first movie, is that they didn't like it for whatever reason, and I think. It's really, it's the first movie that kind of turned my opinion around of of the X-Men. And I think one of the reasons I liked it so much is that they didn't bring so many of the... the, Forgive me, I'm just going to call it, you know, goofier aspects of the comic book X-Men to that first movie. I think that's what I liked about it, is they gave it a little bit more of a... 
I hate to say real world, but they tried to give it a little bit more of a real world feel and a real world, real world spin, and I think that's what I liked about it so much. But man, I definitely like the second one a lot better. So, what's your uh, number five, sir? Well, it's 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 a slash because it's the same basic theme: uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin by Elliot Gould. You uh, son of a bitch! <laughs> we're gonna do this. You know, we're gonna do this. Um, I was really disappointed that Elfman didn't do Forever and, and Robin. But as I've listened to it more and more over the years, I really like how both films open with that kind of tremulous strings. Uh-huh. And then you go right into the deep horn, and then it starts playing very slowly the Batman theme. And then it gets louder and louder, and then the suiting up, yep. where you realize it's not special effects sound effects of him grabbing his stuff. It's like Goldenthal having people dropping shit, you know, in the scoring stage. Right. And uh, just, while both films have their flaws, uh, Forever being slightly better than Anne Robin, um, I think the music of both films really made them more enjoyable to watch repeatedly um, so you can just kind of tune out what's going on the screen and listen to the music <laughs> oh that was my number one believe it or not was Batman oh I'm Forever. sorry so, no 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 not at all because like you say we, we both came up with uh, with uh, honorable mentions and alternatives so no but I just thought I'd mention that that, that that actually was number one on my list after Superman the movie was uh, was Batman Forever yeah I like that one I mean I, I was don't get me wrong I was a big fan of the Tim Burton Batman uh, scores and especially the Batman theme but there's something about the Elliot Goldenthal theme uh, particularly to Batman Forever although Batman Forever Batman and Robin are basically the same yeah Batman Forever has the edge for me I think it's a little more driving and uh, I, I just ever since I've heard that I, I've loved it I just thought it was a really great score you know and again you know some of these you have to be able to separate yourself from the film itself because I realize some especially on my list there's going to be a couple that might raise eyebrows if you're thinking strictly of just the film you kind of kind of got to divorce yourself from the film a little bit and just think of the music itself that's behind it especially my next one so. all righty um, no but I, I just it seemed to harken back to an earlier Batman whereas the Elfman theme which I will be discussing later, um, is very much of the 80s. It seemed like the Goldenthal theme could fit in the 90s, but also the 70s mm-hmm. as well. Uh, with the with the even even though he was going, he was definitely you know Schumacher was definitely going after the sillier aspects of the 60s, right? But the the theme itself sounds much darker and much more O'Neill Adams rather than you know John. <clears throat> John Broom, Carmine Infantino, right of the character. So, but that's my number five. All right, number four, and this one, like I say, this is one that might uh, raise some eyebrows or maybe even raise some higher. I don't know, but uh, again, 
listen to the music and and regardless of your feelings about the movie you know see if you can divorce your feelings a little bit and just go with the theme here i think this is uh just a fantastic piece of music um this is the main theme to the league of extraordinary gentlemen by trevor jones i really i i dig the whole damn soundtrack i thought the of course i like the movie too but i really did think that the uh soundtrack was fantastic Trevor Jones, you know, I I don't know a whole lot about him. I only have a few scores that he's ever done. Um, like, uh, I'm pretty sure he's the guy that did Dark Crystal, if I remember properly. But I really liked the theme in this. I thought it really captured the mood that the movie was supposed to be creating. And uh, it just worked for me. I really, you know, dynamic... Uh, Driving, I think that's a word that keeps coming up, but I think driving has a lot to do with when you're talking about superhero stuff. You know, it should most of these themes, you know, when they're the the big iconic characters like your Superman, your Batman, or Spider Man, or Hulk, or whatever. I think they should be very driving and get you, yes. you know, get your blood going. You know, get you excited, and and that's what the best ones of these do. I think is they really work you up and they get you excited about what you're going to be seeing and. Uh, LXG definitely did that for me. I, I really liked it. I have taken so much shit for liking that film. So much shit for liking that film. But I absolutely love it. I think it's a great movie. I, I do have, too. I have a fun... Holy shit, he did Last of the Mohicans? Mm-hmm. And freaking uh, 13 Days? That's right, yeah. That's another one of my favorite sounds. And now that I'm thinking about it, that should have clicked with me when I was listening to the 13 Days score. Because mm-hmm. they've had, because the main last of the Mohicans theme and that first track off the the Thirteen Days score have a lot in common. That yeah, I they do. About. So uh, no, I I, I <clears throat> actually have that as one of my honorable mentions. So uh, cool. no, I'll totally agree with you. I, I I like the music. I like the movie. It gave us the Hulk fight that summer that we all wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with Hyde fighting the other dude that drank the formula. Yeah. It's, just, it's a fun movie. It is. You know, yeah, the Venice scene doesn't quite hold up logically, but you know what? It, it's Sean Connery kicking ass. I liked Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. I seemed to hate him. I thought he was a great addition to the film. Uh, and what's her name? It's Mina Harker. See, I didn't go into that movie with any baggage beyond the fact of... Neither did I. I had the leg up because I knew who all the characters were. Which I think... I, I think two things hurt that movie, I, especially box office-wise. I think one of the things that hurt... Or the biggest thing that hurt it box office-wise was that people that went in not having read the Alan Moore thing didn't know what the hell they were looking at because I think that the average dumbass American today has no fucking clue who Alan Quartermain is. I'm sorry if that sounds insulting, but it's the truth. You ask the average American, who's Alan Quartermain? They don't have a clue who he is. You know? And I think that that was the case with a lot of the characters in that movie was people didn't know who they were. I knew who they were, but I had never read the Alan Moore thing. I think that actually worked to my advantage with this particular thing. I've tried since to read that and frankly it's... thought it was really, really boring. So I like I liked the movie a lot because I think that idea of taking all these diverse literary legends and throwing them all into one movie, I think that's cool. And I think the yeah. movie did it. Frankly, I think the movie did it better than the book did, but you know, 
we're, now we're going to get letters, but <laughs> I just do it. Was it more exciting as an adventure film for me? You, you know, are you really going to introduce the Invisible Man raping girls at a school for wayward girls? I mean, is that really how you're going to do it? Where he rapes Pollyanna? Oh God, is that I in mean, the book? That's in the book. That's how the Invisible Man is introduced, and it's just uh, that far into it. See. I, I don't understand the cult of personality around Alan Moore anyways. So, again, letters. Uh, <laughs> um, my number four came out the same summer. And while I don't care for the film at all, uh, the, the main theme in the music I thought was very good. It's Hulk by, uh, by Danny Elfman. Cool. Mainly because... It has a lot of echoes of the, of the Joseph Harnell theme. It does. In it. Uh, the way the music kind of falls a little bit is almost like the dun, 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 dun. But it, it's, it holds up on its own. It's got this weird kind of Middle Eastern quality to it almost. Mm-hmm. I, I would say I can't really describe it any other way. But you said it before. It's driving. You know, mm-hmm. when it gets in there and you're watching those flashbacks, it's dun 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 And I, I really enjoy it. I, I think, I think Curtis Armstrong did a better job on the score of Incredible Hulk in general. Craig, Craig Armstrong. Sorry, why did I say Curtis? I don't know. Oh, that's cool. But I think Elfman, Elfman does good superhero music. I, I, I think people, you know, he does suffer from the fact that, you know, as that one college humor skit about how Tim Burton makes a movie, <laughs> and they ask, you know, what's Elfman going to do? It's going to be, ah, ah, dun, 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 diddly-dee, I mean, it's, it's true. It so, is true. You, you can't get around it. But regardless of that, he brings something different to the table. And I think... I always thought Elfman would be more geared towards the Marvel characters than the DC characters anyways, simply because of his musical aesthetics. I mean, he was the freaking lead singer and main driving main driving force behind Boingo Boingo, which... <laughs> okay, they did a Budweiser commercial, which is really fucking weird to see, but... <laughs> I think he works really well for the darker characters, although, you know, now I say that and immediately I just thought of The Flash. I thought his Flash theme was phenomenal so maybe oh, yeah. completely wrong but i think he works very well with the dark characters because you know what i just thought of one that i forgot to put on my honorable mentions was dick tracy mm-hmm. i thought dick tracy was a hell of a good score and i wouldn't describe that one as particularly a dark score so yeah i, I but i can see why you thought he might work better with marvel than with dc because on the whole marvel's characters are a bit darker but uh, I, I don't know that I'd necessarily want to see him do, uh, say, Captain America. No. But uh, I, I wonder who actually will get that gig. Because, you know, I would love, since uh, Joe Johnston is directing Yeah, Captain I was just America, about to say that. I'd love to see James Horner that did the Rocketeer uh-huh. that Johnston directed. I'd like to see uh, James Horner do the Captain America. I think he... Because if you ever listen to Apollo 13... That tells me right there that he's got the chops to do Captain America. I think that could be phenomenal. I was listening to the Rocketeer score this morning on the way to work. 
I forgot to put that one on my list too, on my honorable mentions. Only because you know what it was is I only went into my my film score folder. I never looked in Disney, and all that stuff is Disney. At least I, that's how I have it arranged. So I forgot to look at Disney superheroes. Underrated comic book film ever. Yeah, it is fantastic too. It still holds up pretty well. I, I watched it again not not too long ago. Well, it's got a timeless feel to it. It's set in the '40s, and it feels like it's set in the. 40s. Oh yeah. Well, the, some of the special effects are starting to look a little wonky. You know, some of the stuff that looked really good, you know, at the time it came yeah. out, that rear projection stuff, and that's starting to look a little wonky today. But overall, still holds up. And it, it's one of those ones where the story's so good and engaging and compelling that you can kind of overlook some of the flaws of the special effects because the movie around it was really good. Well, you, you boil the Nazis and the flying jetpack and the superhero aspect. It's a guy that's afraid of losing the girl he's in love with. Mm-hmm. And that's something a lot of people can relate to on, on one level or another. Mm-hmm. Timothy Dalton was fantastic in that movie. Um, William Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. But- he, he's got two big reasons to want to keep that girl around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had a crush on her since Labyrinth. So oh, yes. Oh yes, but everybody of our around our age has had a crush on her since <laughs> It's like, why did you watch Mulholland Falls? Uh, Jennifer Connelly took her gear off. I mean, it's like watching that movie "Cross My Heart," uh, starring Martin Short and Annette O'Toole. I mean, really and truly, it was two o'clock in the morning. The only reason I watched it was she got naked. So well, I'm gonna have to watch that. I didn't know she <laughs> ever got naked in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I have to dig that one out now. Well, which, let's see. Which, that's a good that's a good segue into your number three, isn't it? There you go. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, nobody got naked in my number three, but it was still uh, still had an awesome, awesome score. And again, to a certain degree, I think there's a certain, uh, a, a, probably a large segment of the audience that again, you got to divorce yourself from the from the movie that this one was for and just go strictly by the theme itself. Although, again, I dug the hell out of this movie. Um, this would be the theme for Spider-Man 3 by Christopher Young. Now, he's reworking themes laid down by Danny Elfman for this, but the reason I chose Spider-Man 3 over the other two is that... Um, he does go other places with the yes. Spider-Man 3 or excuse me the Spider-Man theme in this one and very dark places and I really like that and the the overall soundtrack really does that as well the the scenes where Spider-Man starts to starts to kind of descend into darkness and eventually where he succumbs to the darkness I think those are probably the the best themes, at least for me personally, I think those are the best themes in the entire Spider-Man trilogy is those moments of, of him succumbing to the dark. I think Christopher Young, from what little I've heard of him, I've only ever heard just a few of his soundtracks, but what I've heard so far, he's really, really good with the dark and edgy stuff, and I like that. He To, he, to me, he's a nice uh, successor to Danny Elfman on this franchise because he's got sort of a young Danny Elfman style, and I really dig that. So uh, he, he's one to keep an ear on as far as I'm concerned because uh, uh, it, you know it's not on my list of honorable mentions or anything, but uh, I really dug the soundtrack he did for Ghost Rider 
um, you know, regardless of the of the finished film product with that one, his score was phenomenal. I mean, he did a really good job with you know something that sounded very uh, you know demonic and hellish. I, I enjoyed that, but it still had a twinge of the of the superhero to it too. So, yeah. No, I I'll agree with you. I remember sitting there in the theater, watching the opening. Uh, credits to Spider-Man Three, and you're you're, you're kind of going to the main Spider-Man theme, but then it goes into the the symbiote theme. I guess is the best way yes. to describe it. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow, you're really going into oh, and I really dug it, and that was why when I found it finally, uh, <laughs> um, I was really happy because I, I dug the hell out of it. So yeah, I'll, I'll totally agree with that. Um, kind of moves into my third one. Cool. Which was uh, Spider-Man, the first one. Oh, cool. A lot of people give the Elfman Spider-Man theme shit like it's not memorable. I thought it was. I thought it fit Spider-Man like a glove. Uh, you know, it, 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 it had a, a heroic quality to it, but it had kind of the... It, it was almost a sad theme, really. Right. And, and I think that's the under of Spider-Man is, is, is heroism tinged with a sad you know sad beginning you know he you know his uncle died basically because of him and I thought listening to it for the first time in the theater that I was like wow that I think Spider-Man is found esteem and I'm shocked especially among people who are big Spider-Man fans to hear them say ah oh, I didn't really like that theme Spider-Man hasn't had esteem yet I just I don't know what I'm hearing that they're not, or maybe I am just hearing something that that isn't there. But I absolutely dig the hell out of it. I really do. It's funny you say that because, to a degree, I would have to consider myself one of those people. Um, but while we're talking about you know the, the Spider-Man trilogy, one of my honorable mentions was the theme to Spider-Man Two. Because Spider-Man 2 is essentially the same theme as Spider-Man, the first one. However, right after the introductory part, it suddenly goes into the villain theme. And it it takes a dark turn, which is something I I really felt like it it needed the first time around. It it needed a a dark... It needed some sort of change-up in there to make it a little more memorable than what it was. And it delivered the second time around with Spider-Man 2. So I like that one uh, quite a bit more than, than the first one. But essentially, they are the same theme. It, basically, he just took the opening theme and kind of mashed it up with, with the, the villain theme that we got late in the first Spider-Man movie and, and meshed them together. And that became the new opening for the second film. And I, I thought it really, really worked. Plus, I love the last cue of the movie that closes the movie out where Spider-Man swings off and we're left with Mary Jane kind of standing alone in the apartment and the, and the music gets really dark mm-hmm. right, right before the credits close the movie out and there's something about that piece of music I really really love because it, it, it's that you know in, in kind of like an Empire Strikes Back style it's that dark middle chapter and I love the way that that movie closes out that way <sighs> I'm not a big fan of Spider-Man 2. <laughs> That's just me. I, I, I like certain parts of it. Uh, but I just, as, as a movie, I mean, I like it better than 3, but damn. Uh, 
<laughs> it's kind of hard not to, isn't it? Oh, stop it. It was three interesting movies. Unfortunately, they didn't mesh well together. <laughs> so, But that's just my opinion. That's just your faulty opinion. That's cool. Oh, where are we now? Where are we now? Oh, number two. Number two, moving up the uh, the countdown here. All right, this one here should be very familiar to uh, to regular listeners of all of the products that uh, Michael and I put out. This one is the theme to the unreleased Fantastic Four movie by uh, Roger Corman from uh, several years back by David and Eric Wurst. Now, if you're a regular listener to uh, Tales of the Justice Society of America, then you hear this theme every single week. But uh, I really do love that theme. The movie, eh, it's got its moments. Uh, Overall, it's kind of a a dud, but love. The storm was hot. Yeah, I mean, it it has its elements. It has its elements. I absolutely loved Reed Richards in that film. There, there's a lot of moments I like in that movie, but overall, I'm still waiting for like the definitive Fantastic Four movie. I, I, I liked everything we've gotten so far, but still feel like they all kind of—they're like Batman movies, you know. They all have their their little things I like and their little things I really dislike. But overall, I'm still waiting for like a really good one, live action. Well, as much as I like the first big budget theatrical one that got released into the into actually into theaters uh it did feel like a television pilot yeah amped up yeah so, i mean it, it had a good score john Ottman did the music. i didn't like the theme that opened the movie which is why i didn't make my list or even my honorable mentions but there's there's moments in the scores uh for both of those movies themselves that i really like i just don't really care for the for the ff's theme itself but uh uh the silver surfers theme in the second movie was really good i liked that and the the part where they actually are hit by the the cosmic uh, rays or the cosmic wave in the first movie. I like that piece of music quite a bit as well. There, there's definitely elements in there that I like, but overall, uh, for an Ottman score, I, I found it surprisingly kind of weak because I've enjoyed just about everything he's ever done that I've heard. But his FF stuff, just just not some of his stronger stuff in my opinion. But uh, these guys here, and I believe yes. they're brothers. Uh, David and Eric Worst. I'm pretty sure they're brothers. I've not heard much of anything else out of these guys. I really don't know much about them at all. But uh, this score was just really fantastic. I enjoyed the whole thing. Now, they're clearly aping other things here. Because you know, it was you that pointed out Jurassic Park, which I never really made yeah. that connection before, but it does sound a lot like Jurassic Park. And then, of course, their villain theme that they have for Doctor Doom is clearly them just ripping off the March of the Villains from Superman yes. the movie. But still, you know, there's there's enough of a reworking in there that it's enjoyable in its own right, and it's not a complete note for note ripoff. It's more like you know, like a swipe homage type of thing. I I, I like that, and I like the big fight thing. I'd love to see a. Uh, a full release of this one day because you know what little of it is you know, that there is out there at least to my knowledge actually comes from an anthology album of just different projects that they've done over the years I, off the top of my head I, I forget what the name of that album is it's like music for film or something like that I think is the name of it but that's my number two I was so glad when you sent it to me 
because I had had a crappy version that somebody like dubbed off of their TV <laughs> for years, and, and then to hear like a full like like a clean version just made me very very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, number two for me, I had to think about this, but uh, it really hit me when I was looking at my uh, looking in my superhero themes folder. Uh, it has to be uh, Jerry Goldsmith's Supergirl theme. Ah, oh, you son of a bitch! That's two of my number ones you've stolen. Now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. Well, I've got um, a backup plan. Gold Goldsmith was the first choice for Superman the movie, actually, and then he wasn't available, so they got Williams, and then Williams wasn't available, so they got Goldsmith again. The Goldsmith became unavailable, so they went with Williams. Um, Goldsmith worked with Donner on The Omen, I believe, and. Um, Jerry Goldsmith is is a master film composer, uh, but the the thing he excels at is main themes. I mean, if you listen to Star Trek V and First Contact, especially, have just mm-hmm. two opening themes that you know it's almost like he does the the main Star Trek theme, gets it out of the way, so he can do what he really wants right. to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But with Supergirl, you know, you had to kind of match to a certain extent what what Williams had done with Superman but do it in a slightly different style because it's Supergirl and I think he succeeds admirably I think this is an awesome you know main theme it has the sense of flight it has the sense of wonder it's got a lot of power to it it builds to them to the to the release of the theme and there's you know in the main theme itself you have kind of the love theme and I almost think that this is maybe what he would have done with Superman. I've often thought that, or wondered that, you know, that that this that we're basically getting his Superman just reused because he's one of those guys that I don't think he ever really let anything go unused if he could find a way to to use it later on and, and incorporate it into another score. I know he did that with his Star Trek material, so I've often wondered if what we're hearing in Supergirl isn't just you know, a, a reworking of what he would have done for Superman, but but again, that that presupposes that he actually did something, you know, towards Superman, yeah. and I don't know that that's the case either. And unfortunately, we can't ask him. Yeah, he's sadly passed on. But you know, you know, it's a Goldsmith score from a mile away. It's like you know, it's a Williams score. He's one of those guys that has his own style, but still manages to change it up from project to project. And uh, I just absolutely love this. I love the uh, on the um, the score that got released in the '90s that had all the alternate cues and music. It had the overture, yes, Supergirl. And I actually prefer that to the to listening to the main theme because then you too. just hit all the beats of the film. But the but I will say this for for that movie, the one thing he did that will always make me smile every time I watch the scene is how he incorporated very softly the Williams theme into that poster sequence mm-hmm. where he she sees the poster and you hear the theme and it's just like suddenly it's all legitimate right because that's there right yeah I, I like that too it reminds me a lot of uh, like when you would briefly hear Yoda's theme in E.T. or something like that and it kind of <laughs> just ties it all musically together it's, it's, it's nice um you know, I honestly, I don't, 
I've got honorable mentions, but I don't have anything that I want to throw out as a replacement to number one because I, I think that would give the false impression that any of these other ones are, are a suitable number one for me. So I'm just going to add my own comments about uh, okay. Supergirl the, uh, the movie because that really that was my replacement number one for uh, for Batman Forever. But Supergirl, yeah, I, I really do enjoy that one. And, uh, you know, like I've said several times now, it's another one of those ones I think you have to kind of divorce yourself from the movie a little bit because although I've come to really like the movie, I can also, you know, I'm fully aware of the fact that, no, it's not really a very good movie. It it has its moments, but no. I've seen all three versions of the film. (laughs) Each one gets a little better than the previous one, but yeah. Right. (laughs) But you know, there's it's it's got things to like about it, but overall, it's yeah. Yeah, her name is Ellen Slater. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's trying to see up that skirt through the whole movie. That's what it is. But but uh, Jerry Goldsmith is just one of my absolute favorite film composers. Anyway, you know, for for so many of the movies that you, you mentioned, you know, especially like Star Trek: The Motion Picture, uh, First Blood. Um, Alien. I mean, there, there's just a ton of great, great scores that he did. But I really think that this is one of his better ones. And it's not one of the ones I hear mentioned all that often. And uh, one of the things that really works for me with, with Jerry Goldsmith, one of the things I think is a signature of his truly awesome scores, you know, his best of the best scores is when he introduced some new audio element into it. Like back in uh, Planet of the Apes, you know, the original Planet of the Apes that he did, he had a lot of these weird horns that almost sounded like some sort of, like, ape call or something. It was really weird, but he, he was being very experimental with that soundtrack. You know, Logan's Run had some weird experimental music stuff in there. A lot of digital stuff and a lot of weird, um, I don't know if it was organs or what it was, but just some really strange and unusual sounds. Star Trek, the the motion picture had that weird, like, uh, twang electronic noise that... Again, you know, there were these things that I don't know what they were. And it's hard. You listen to it, you can't quite identify what it was. But that's the fun of it. It was that he was introducing something new for your ear, you know, to kind of throw things off a little bit and and make it kind of experimental and something that you hadn't heard before. And I like that. He did it uh, with Star Trek V. He he kept using this one horn for during the Klingon sequences. Well, Supergirl the movie does that too, you know, especially if you listen to the Overture version you were talking about. There's that weird... I call it a swoosh because I imagine it's it's supposed to be like her flying by the screen or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's this it's this weird flying sound that you get through the whole thing. But I really like it because you you really only hear it in certain parts of the of the actual score that's in the movie. But if you listen to the overture, then you hear it quite a lot. And that you know, so I agree with you. I like the overture version better than I actually like the the main theme that's actually in the movie because I don't think that main theme incorporates it or or at least it doesn't incorporate it as much as the overture but yeah excellent choice man that is that is a very very good score really good superhero score well I guess that leaves my number one doesn't it mm-hmm um Batman by Danny Elfman 
I think second only to Superman, this is the theme and score that I am most familiar with. This was driven home to me when we were playing the Wii on the Wii, my wife and I on the Wii were playing Batman Lego, which takes <laughs> all of the music right from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it for me, it did for Batman what John Williams did for Superman. It gave the character his own theme. It gave a theme that you could go out of the theater humming. It's like... It actually was my problem with the second film, is that I kept waiting for that Batman theme to come in, and Elfman seemed to be wanting to do anything but. Though nothing will ever beat the finale from... From, from Batman Returns, uh, as far yeah. as that score goes. But no, this one, you know, I enjoy the end re- uh, reprise of the theme more than the actual, like, opening, because it always takes you, like, 30 minutes to get to the, get to the point, because he starts so low right. you have to wonder if your, your MP3 player is working properly. <laughs> but, um, he he encapsulated that era of Batman. And, and did so in such a way that it made it completely and utterly memorable to the point where they kept bringing it back for the trailers. Right. Uh, which was kind of surprising. But I just I just absolutely love that. I love that whole score. Finale from Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I can just listen to that thing over and over again. It is so epic, and it just builds and builds and builds, and you finally have that, that final moment. But that main theme, I think, for such... For, for the build of that movie and all of the you know the the uh, the hype and everything it's sh- I was just so glad that the theme was good because if you walked in that theater and the first thing you heard was a sucky theme I think it would have killed the movie but I think a lot of what made that movie good much like Williams music for Star Wars uh, was the music you were hearing in the background oh yeah so, so yeah, that that is definitely hands down my number one. I think yeah. this one for me, the only reason that this one didn't make my list, kind of similar to how way back when when we did a uh, top five film scores episode for Two True Freaks, some people later on were really surprised that I didn't have Back to the Future on that list, and I had to explain that it wasn't. It was a thing where yeah, that is one of my favorites, but I just. Kind of sick of it. I just I had listened to it so many times that I just I can't listen to it right now. I had to just kind of put it on a on a moratorium for a while. I'm kind of on a moratorium with with Burton's Batman only because you know I I literally I had a roommate that begged me to stop playing it when I was in the service you know because I was in the service when that movie came out and I bought the soundtrack right away. And just listen to it over and I mean anywhere I was, whether I was in the dorm room or in my car or whatever, I just wore that damn cassette tape out because I listened to it just over and over and over because I really, really loved it. You know, I loved the the whole damn soundtrack. But somewhere in the course of the last twenty years I just I got really tired of listening to it and I haven't listened to it in quite a while now. Um, but yeah, I agree. With you. That is a, it really is a fantastic soundtrack. But I can remember that also being one of my biggest disappointments in soundtracks, right up there with like the helicopter scene being missing from Superman the movie. Is the uh, the part in the movie where Batman breaks through the skylight to yeah. rescue Vicky Vale from the Joker is not on the album, and that's like that's like one of the best musical sequences of the whole movie. <laughs> 
Plus, I had gotten to noticing over the years, you know, on subsequent rewatches of the film, that a lot of the, the themes that actually did wind up on the soundtrack are um, like abbreviated versions of, yes. of the themes of now that, how they're actually heard in the movie. That score needs a full release. It yes, really it does. Um, you know, it needs the, the Superman the movie type release, so... It's one that I don't hear bandied about much when people talk about expanded releases either, or, or you know, like uh, Film Score Monthly doing a full release or something. I, I hardly ever hear that one mentioned, but I would, I'd be there for that. I would love that because, yeah, there's a lot more music in that movie that deserves to be on, you know, that needs to be released somewhere that that just hasn't ever been, to my knowledge. So, yeah, I would totally be down for that. Well, it's funny, too, on the, on the very first one that's left on my list of honorable mentions was actually Batman Returns, the next one, because I actually like the opening to that movie um, a lot better. I think uh, as awesome as I think the opening is to the first Batman, Batman Returns is, like, super dark. And yes. I really liked that. I really like how that one opens. And, and I agree with you. I, I like the way it closes, too. I like... Uh, if we're thinking of the same thing, I'm thinking of the part where Bruce is being driven away at the end of the movie. No, that's actually not what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. About. What are, what, which I, part are you talking about? I am talking about when the penguin dies and pops out of the oh, water okay. and music playing there. It's called Finale Part 2 mm-hmm. on the score. So, but yeah, it was... Yeah, that gets me every time. I think I, I, in the theater, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. When I finally bought the the tape of the uh, of the um, of the score, I, I, that's what I would listen to over and over and over again. And you know, same when I got the um, the CD of it too. So hmm. I'm just big, big fan. I have to agree with you that the that, that the opening of Batman Returns beats Batman because it has that whole thing with the penguin being born and the yeah. the build up to it and then you finally get to the Batman theme and God you're right it's just like sixteen different types of dark. <laughs> I remember being in the theater watching that and just you know there's there's that whole origin of the penguin and then we actually follow his like maybe bassinet thing whatever it is down into the sewer and there was that moment where it where it goes completely dark and the batman logo comes out and it slowly unfurls and as it unfurls is when the batman theme really kicked in and i remember sitting in the theater and just thinking wow you know he did it he actually outdid his own theme and and so that's that's always stuck with me and I, I really, really do like like that theme a lot. It, I think it's fantastic. It's one of the, I think it's one of his absolute best, honestly. And he's had some some fantastic film scores. Indeed, yes, he has. I, I you know, I pick on him, but I still like him at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so. me too. Um, honorable mentions for me. Uh, you mentioned League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, I put X, X-Men 1 in addition to X-Men 2. Okay. Uh, because uh, the Craig Armstrong Incredible Hulk, I really liked. Uh, Spider-Man 3, I put that on my um, honorable mentions. The Rocketeer, because I was listening yeah. this morning, and I was like, God. That was the first CD I ever bought was the, the uh, soundtrack to The Rocketeer. Uh, one that may surprise people is Daredevil. 
You know, I've still never heard that to this. I haven't seen the movie, and I still haven't ever heard the soundtrack. Um, How is that? Is it, it's good? Well, unfortunately, it didn't get a full score uh-huh. because there was a lot of rock music in there. But uh, there's an opening sequence with, you know, like him suiting up. And Graham Revel did the score to that film. And he's done and <laughs> he's done some good movies and he's done some bad. He did Crow. I like the Crow. Uh, but he also did Spawn. And a lot of the music in Spawn sounds like some of the music in Daredevil. It's like he was reusing some themes, probably because no one saw Spawn but me. Didn't he do one of the two Tomb Raider movies as well? Let's see what we got. Yeah, but uh, I'm just pulling that off the top of my head, but I think he did. He, um, Daredevil's not one of those characters you would think would get like a, a full out like awesome theme, but it had a real driving edge to it that uh, that I thought worked for the film itself. He, uh, he also did an instrumental, more instrumental version of the Evanescence song My Immortal, which was in the film that's actually on their album and it's on the soundtrack too, that I like a lot better than what you hear on the radio because it's got, it's fully orchestrated instead of being more rock-edged to it. But uh, what was that movie you were wondering if he did? One of the Tomb Raider movies. No. No? He did Freddy vs. Jason. I liked that. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. I shouldn't love that movie, but I love that movie. But he also... It's its its like really interesting looking at his body of work because it's like, you know, Daredevil, cool. The Crow, cool. Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. <laughs> What the hell? Suicide Kings, which was a great film, but then Bride of Chucky. So. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, looking at my wall of shame behind me, you know, I like most of the... the you know, there, there hasn't been, like, a superhero theme I've hated. I can't think of one that I've absolutely despised. It's like the Punisher had a good theme to it. Um, yeah, the, I had two others real quick, and, and oh, okay. one, I, one I, of them. Done. I no, 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 no. That's that's cool. Uh, just, you reminded me when you said the Punisher because uh, the Punisher Warzone. I really like the uh, the soundtrack to that. I, I, I like the the theme because the one for the Thomas Jane movie. It's it's okay, but I thought it was a little. Uh, I don't know, it was a little bit wussy, I thought, for a Punisher one. I, I know what they were going for, because they tried to make it more of like a sad type of theme, but the one for Punisher Warzone is, is flat out, it's, you know, it sounds like ass-kicking music, you know, it's very dark and very driving and all that, but I really like that. Um, I don't know how in the world you pronounce this guy's last name. It's Michael, it looks like Wandmacher, I know, it's W-A-N-D-M-A-C-H-E-R, Wandmacher. Not even gonna try. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, one that I'm really surprised wasn't on your list because I know that you love this movie too was uh, The Shadow by Jerry Goldsmith. I was wondering if that actually counted as a comic book theme. Well, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I guess it could. I mean, he he was in. See, I went to see that movie because of the comics. That's how I knew him was from the Howard Chaykin uh, miniseries, and then that that short uh, ongoing afterwards. So. I don't. Know, in my book, it's a comic book movie. <laughs> okay, maybe that's. No, I'll cheap. go with. I'll go with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I liked the score to that too. Um, I love that movie in general. That yeah. Was, was just, <laughs> again, it's one of those movies that people like like tend to talk badly about. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was a great movie. Alec Baldwin was awesome in it. Penelope Ann Miller was good. Peter Boyle was great as his driver. I mean, there was. There wasn't a single... The only thing that was bad about that film was Tim Curry trying to do an American accent and just failing miserably. So. But, let's, let's, you know, I liked the Ghost Rider theme too, actually. Surprisingly mm-hmm. enough. Let's see what else I got. I was trying to think. You were you were saying, you know, of, of, of themes that you hated or something. It got me to thinking, has there ever been a superhero theme that I just absolutely hated... And off of the top of my head, I can't, I can't really think of one. But I'm, I'm sure there's probably got to be one somewhere along the line. There's definitely ones that I thought could be better. You know yes. that I, that I listened to and I thought, well, you know that that could be better if they made it faster or made it slower or made it darker or or whatever. But outright hated. Oh wait, we're we're missing the obvious one. <laughs> the ones for for Dark Knight and for uh Batman Begins. I I don't think there is a theme. I think that's what my problem with with the music with those was. But <laughs> Well, you know it better than I do cuz all I remember is like <laughs> Were the speakers blown out in the yeah, theater? So you maybe that was it. I don't know. But uh, oh, before I forget, actually, like I said at the beginning of the program, I had solicited uh, some participation on these episodes. So, uh, do we want to know what uh, what others are saying? I would like to. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. We got uh, ah, right out of the gate. We got David Pascarellis is the Dark Knight. But then he says, no, just kidding. The classic Superman, the movie. Justin Clark said, I would have to say the whole score for Superman Returns. Any of the Superman themes from the DC animated movies were really amazing, too. Well, we'll be talking about the animated stuff a little bit further down. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's see. Charlie Niemeyer says, uh, Superman is my favorite. He says, however, I also like the theme from the beginning of Batman Mask of the Phantasm. The choral part was awesome. Again, we'll be talking about the animated stuff uh, a little bit later, and we'll have to see if that makes uh, either my cut or Mike's cut. I'll have to I'll have to leave it off of mine because I know it's going to be on yours. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, let's see. Douglas Meacham, he says... Uh, in order of greatness to not so great, he says Superman the movie, main theme, Krypton theme, love theme, and chasing rockets. Yeah, that's a great one. Spider-Man, Batman 89, Batman Begins, The Incredible Hulk TV series, and Iron Man. Now that's one right there I've got to say I thought Iron Man could be a lot better. I didn't really think there was a discernible theme in Iron Man, did you? No. That, that was actually one of my problems. My only problem with the film was I don't remember the music at all. Yeah, it was very generic, I thought. 
Uh, let's see who else we got here. Greg Barr says, Superman the movie on Krypton theme, the death of Jonathan Kent, are so evocative. Uh, hell, I thought the whole score with the march giving me uh, chills every time I hear it. Uh, a close second would be the Star Wars theme. <laughs> it's not comic books, dude. <laughs> Though I haven't heard it in a while, but I liked the theme to the Rocketeer as well. Very and, good. You know, going back to our number one for a moment, Superman the movie, um, something I had meant to, to say earlier when we were talking about that. I think if I had, you know, if a gun was put to my head right now and somebody says, what's your favorite movie theme? Quick, quick, right now, asshole. I'd have to say, uh, I think Fortress of Solitude from Superman the movie, I think is probably my favorite piece of scored music ever. I I love that track. I I can't Mm -hmm. tell you what it is about it. Um, It's not the big driving dramatic piece like most of the rest of that soundtrack is. Like, say, like when he catches the helicopter, it's almost the exact opposite of something like that. It's very soft and very quiet, but there's something about that that I think has just as much majesty in it as the theme. (laughs) Unfortunately, it ends in in the one scene in the movie that I thought shouldn't be there, but that's okay. What's that? Where, Where he's... Superman, where he flies? I, I, My opinion of a Superman film is that you shouldn't see him until he's doing his thing the first time. And it's a great scene, don't get me wrong. It's shot beautifully. The score is epic. But I think that film would have been served better if we didn't see him until he stepped out of that revolving door. My understanding. My impression is, and I could be, I mean, I I don't have any fact or basis for this whatsoever, but this is just purely my speculation. But I'm wondering if if there's a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff going on there where somebody says, you know, you realize that you're like an hour and a half into this movie and we haven't seen the main movie. (laughs) You know, seriously, I, I would not at all be surprised to hear someday... You know, Richard Donner or somebody comes forth and says, well, yeah, the only reason that part's in there is because somebody said, you know, we, we need to see him now. You know, it, it's long enough. But I, I love it. I really do. I still love it. I, I think it, I don't know. I, I think it's a nice cap to that scene to where these were the things that were leading up to him being Superman. You know, that, that we'd gotten the whole thing in Kansas with his with his adopted folks and all that. Now we were getting the other half of it. Now we were getting his Kryptonian heritage and, you know, instruction from his real father and, you know, that sort of thing. And it, it all led up to this moment of here he stands revealed as Superman. And it's only just a split second. You know, it's it's just enough to tease us that, okay, he's he's got the costume and he can fly now. Now let's see what's going to happen. But so I see where you're, what you're saying, and I actually I do agree with you. However, I, I can't hate on it. I love that scene. I, well, I'm I not love, hating I love. on it. That's the thing. It's just I think the film would have been served better with. They should have done what I wanted them to do. No, what's that? that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? Just, just they should have done what I wanted them to do. Damn it. <laughs> Um, I just uh, no just I I don't think there is a single track on the Superman the movie score that I don't like 
there, there just isn't. I mean, and, and, the, and the thing is, people give Ken Thorne a lot of crap, but he managed to take a really great majestic theme, the Krypton theme, and turn it evil. Oh, yes. To have that to be the signifier of evil Kryptonians. And uh, I I don't think he gets enough credit. Alexander Courage sure as hell doesn't get enough credit. No, not at all. We have a couple other quick ones here. We've got one from uh, Donovan Grant. He just says, Dark Knight. And then he says, Runs Away. <laughs> I love that. And so I teased he's, him later. He's a, big, he's a big fan of that story. Well, I teased him by telling him I think he needs a hearing check. Uh, let's see. John M. Wilson says he loves the theme to the unreleased Fantastic Four movie, but only because I listen to it at least once a week, he says. Uh, Trent Thortenhoff says, I think he's, his avatar picture is David Hasselhoff, so I think this, this is actually Trent Thornton. He says the X2 hero theme is pretty good. I agree. Jesse Garrett wants to know if the uh, Swamp Thing theme counts. I says, absolutely, absolutely. I actually did like the music, too, the, the whole score to Swamp Thing quite a bit. Uh, he says, if not, I'd have to say the Spider-Man theme. And let's see. Oh, Mike Petit says, Superman 1978 is his number one. Also, Armstrong's The Incredible Hulk. And he does like the Dark Knight soundtrack. Well, you know, they can't all be I guess. <laughs> I tease, I tease. The views of Scott Gardner do not necessarily reflect the views of Michael Bailey. <laughs> but I think that's it. Yeah, that's it for that that's it for that one. fashion comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DeManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.